Thank you, Jesus. How many believers love never fails? Well, don't get quiet on me yet. How many believers love never fails? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you could stand for just a couple more moments, Numbers chapter 35. Good to have everyone here. Good to see Josh. Good to see all of our guests that are here. Amen. We're glad you're here this morning. Praise God. Numbers chapter 35. I really don't know. I'm struggling. I'm struggling a little bit because I'm not really sure how uh, this message fits into the spirit of the service, but the Lord has not given me liberty to change what He gave me. In fact, God gave me this message many weeks ago. I believe it was almost two months ago. God gave me this message, and I thought I was going to be preaching this message that Sunday, and then the Lord changed my mind, and this has just kind of been sitting there. And the Lord drew my attention back to it this week, and so I'm just going to trust that the Lord's going to put it together. Can God do that? Amen. Numbers chapter 35, starting at verse 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when you become over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person at unawares, or if someone was to take a life without intending to do so. Verse 12. They shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger. The avenger was often a person of the same family that had the right by Jewish law to avenge the life that was taken. And so, back in verse 12, it says, And they shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger that the manslayer die not until he stand before the congregation in judgment. And of these cities which you shall give, six cities shall ye have for refuge. I want to preach from this thought today. When others focus on revenge, God focuses on refuge. When others focus on revenge, God focuses on refuge. Jesus, we come before you this morning and we're asking that you would touch our hearts and our lives. Minister to us as we hear what your spirit is saying to us. Make us sensitive to your spirit, sensitive to your will, sensitive to the direction that you have for us. Thank you for the many miracles that have already happened here in this service this morning. So I'm asking, Lord, that you would have your way. Let me be your mouthpiece this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. you. may be seated. Israel, the Jewish people under direction of God, established cities for the sake of refuge. The Jews had the right in their law and also had instructions on how to deal with people that hurt them that caused harm, that stole things, that did damage. The law in the Old Testament referred to, and we call it today, an eye for an eye and a tooth 
for a tooth. The law of retaliation was a principle that a person who had injured another person was to be penalized to the same degree. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. And in other words, uh, maybe a, a little bit of a softer interpretation would be that the, the victim receives the estimated value of the injury or compensation. But the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was very much ingrained in the lives of the Israelite, the Jewish people. Leviticus chapter 24, starting verse 17, it says, And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. Verse 18, And he killeth the beast shall make good beast for beast. And if a man cause a blemish on his neighbor... As he hath done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. He that killeth a beast, he shall restore it. And he that killeth a man, he shall be put to death. So under the law, they had the right to seek revenge, at least seemingly so. God saw that the Jewish people sought revenge so much that He, God, established what is called cities of refuge. Places where if someone killed another person, he could run and seek refuge in those cities until what had happened had gone before judges, and the matter could be decided, not by mob, but by rule of law. Someone from the person's family that was accidentally killed could avenge the blood of their family member. But only if the offending person was not in a city of refuge. So we see that God tried to establish balance where the Israelite, God's people, had taken revenge to the nth degree. God was trying to temper it by saying, if the slayer or the person that had accidentally killed someone is in one of these cities, you cannot go after them, you cannot touch them. Maybe someone was working in a field or on a house and a worker was tragically killed. That's the concept that we're trying to portray to you today. It went further if an animal was owned by someone that killed a person. They had the ability, the owner of that animal had the ability to run to a refuge city until the matter was decided. Hundreds of years later, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever smite thee on the right cheek, turn unto him the other also. If any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. 
And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And so Jesus was trying to tell them, you, you have the right by law for revenge. You have the right by law to get even. You have the right by law or by decree an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, if someone comes and slaps you, I'm not asking you to go back uh, and get even with them. I'm asking you to turn the other cheek. Uh, if somebody sues you to take away your coat, uh, then I want you to hand them your cloak also. Jesus was changing the concept uh, of revenge uh, into a concept uh, of refuge, a concept uh, of forgiveness with Somebody help me this morning and say amen. Experience has taught me that revenge is a cancer that destroys good people. Hear what this preacher is saying this morning. Revenge or unforgiveness is a cancer that destroys people from the inside out. And it's so easy to be offended in this day, in this hour. Paul spoke these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting at verse 22, it says, And they Hebrews, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in depths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. What Paul was saying here is this. I've been offended by people outside the church. I've been offended by people inside the church. I've been offended by fellow preachers and fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. He said, I've been thrown into prison. I have been beaten with rods. I have been whipped. I have been threatened. I have stones thrown at me. I have been shipwrecked. He said, I've been mistreated by Christians and non-Christians alike. He said, I've been th hungry. I've been thirsty. I've been weary. I've been naked. Someone said some time ago, revenge is a meal or a dish that is best served cold. Suggesting that we should not seek revenge when we are angry or upset, but wait until we cool down before we deal with a conflict. 
But I'd like to add revenge as a meal best never served. Because I have never seen anyone that has ever gotten revenge that has felt better about it in the long run. In fact, they often feel worse about it. I read a story the other day. It was entitled The Compassionate Officer. According to an excerpt in the book, Why Forgive?, man by the name of Stephen McDonald. He was a young police officer in 1986 when he was shot by a teenager in New York's Central Park, an incident that left him paralyzed. He says this, I quote, I forgive the shooter because I believe the only thing worse than receiving a bullet in my spine would have been to nurture revenge in my heart, unquote. McDonald wrote, while the young man was serving in his prison sentence, McDonald corresponded with him, hoping that one day the two could work together to, to demonstrate forgiveness and nonviolence. I'd like to add this. What purpose does revenge serve? I don't know of anyone that ever felt better or could sleep better at night after getting even. Revenge has a way of muddying the water. Revenge has a way of making a person feel dirty and unsatisfied. But forgiveness has a way of washing clean the soul. I love Isaiah 49, starting at 15, it says, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that, shall, uh, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, but yet I will not forget thee. Notice verse 16, But I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. God is saying to the people, I have graven you or I have written you on the palms of my hands. And if a woman could not forget her infant child, I am here to let you know that God has written you on the palms of his hands. And if a woman could not forget her infant child, neither can God forget any one of us. Because your name, your name, your structure, your being is written on the palms of the hands of God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God cares enough about writing me in the palms of his hands. And every time he looks at his hands, he's looking at my name. He's looking at me as the frail human being I am, God has engraven me in the palms of his hands. And he's engraven you there as well. I read again Matthew chapter 5 verse 38 through 41. It says, you have heard that it has been said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you. In fact, let me stop here and say anytime you read in the New Testament 
where the Lord is saying, but I say unto you, you really need to check that out uh, because the Lord is taking something that is commonly known amongst other people, even amongst other religions, even Christianity and, and, and Judaism, and he's saying, uh, you ever heard the world has said this, religious people have said this, uh, but I say unto you, you ought to check that out. Verse 39, but I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee by law, take away and take away thy coat, let him take thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go within him twain. The reason the Lord gave that as instructions in his day, in his hour, in verse 41, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile is... Because Roman soldiers would often compel people to carry their luggage, to carry their weapons. And they had to. If a Roman soldier came up to an Israelite and said, I want you to carry this. The law was that they would have to carry it a mile. And the Israelite people, they hated that. They hated serving the Roman occupiers of their land. They hated it so much, but yet they were compelled by law. And Jesus looked at his own people and said, You may, might hate carrying uh, the, the luggage of that Roman soldier. You might hate carrying the weapons of that Roman soldier. And although by law you have to go one mile, I'm telling you not to go one mile, to, but, but to go two miles. Uh, we need to show those who have occupied our land uh, mercy and love. Uh, we need to show those that have occupied our city cities uh, mercy and love even when we don't feel like it amen and so your choice today is revenge or refuge most people and and hear this i want to take a moment with this most people that reject god Reject him not for who he is, but for who he isn't. I want you to, I'm, I'm going to take it, I'm going to stay here a minute. Most people reject God not for who he is, but for who he, he isn't. A good example of that might be God let my son die. Or I was abused as a child, and God didn't stop it. God let my family members suffer from cancer. God let my friend die in an accident. And I, I'm convinced that it's more about blaming God for things that he didn't do than Blessing God or praising God for things he did do. I've heard people, and you have as well, probably, if God was real, why would he allow this to happen? In John chapter 11, verse 21, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. It's the same question that 
hundreds and thousands and probably millions of human beings has, have asked over time, God, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And we often attribute things to God, often the negative things, saying, God, if you could have, or not, not if you could have, but, but Lord, you could have prevented that cancer. Why didn't you prevent the cancer? God, you could have prevented that illness, and why didn't you prevent that illness? So I go back to what I said. Most people reject God, that reject God, reject him not for who he is, but for who, for who he isn't or what he hasn't done in their eyes. In other words, because, because God was not there, because God did not help, because God did not prevent because of that, either God doesn't care or can't help. And I hope that you understand you are absolutely wrong. We often attribute the negative to God, but we don't attribute the positive to God. But I submit to you this, that God does far more good for us than He allows the bad in our lives. God doesn't give cancer. God doesn't kill people. God doesn't cause accidents. God doesn't cause troubles. Those are a matter of life. They happen because of the world we are in, not because God is doing it to us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 20, 28 says, And we know that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I want to read that again. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, I'm here to let you know today that I am not somebody that can cook. I can do certain things, but I, I can't really cook. When it comes to baking a cake or making some intricate meal, choose somebody else. I, I remember one time going about to try to make chocolate chip cookies because my wife was not around. And if I remember right, the Recipe called for baking soda or baking powder, and I put the opposite in, and it was just, it was just not right. And so I am not one to typically follow the label and put the right amount of ingredients in. If it says a cup of sugar, of course two is going to be better. If it says one bag of chocolate chips is good, of course two is better. Do I have an amen somewhere out there in the audience? And, and, and so I'm typically not one to follow the instructions when it comes to things like that. But this I do know by experience. The, the items that you would put into baking something in and of themselves may not be very tasty. Hello? There are some things that you would put into that mixture that are downright bitter, that are downright distasteful. But when you mix it all in and you put it all together, then something great happens. 
Because you take the bitter and you take the sweet and you mix it together. All things work together to good for them that love God. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Uh, We have got to learn how to accept the good, how to accept the bad, uh, and let it all mix together because God has it in control. But we get upset at the ingredients. Is that right or is it wrong? We get upset at the ingredients. We take this one item here and say, God, you don't love me because of that one item. But we forgot about all those other items uh, that God allowed in my life and put into my life. uh, So that although that was, yes, uh, I'm not trying to deny the bitterness of what happens in our lives at times. Uh, I'm not trying to deny the difficulty that happens in our life at times. Uh, But what I'm trying to tell you is all things work together. They all mix together. You compile them all together and God has been working in your life. Uh, God has been doing extraordinary things in your life. I I wonder, are there any impatient people in the house today? You know, it's not real often that my wife will make cookies, but when she does, I don't often wait until they're done. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Guilty as charged. She gets mad when I get over there and stick my hand in the cookie dough and stick a nice chunk of that in my mouth. She's going, you're not supposed to do that. It's got raw eggs in it. I don't care. It tastes good. Is there any, is there any cookie dough eaters here? Come on. Be honest. Oh, I don't think I'm getting everybody honest here. I mean, you know, even those cookie dough that you get at the store in that, you know, plastic container with the little steel rings on the end, and you cut that thing open, and you cut it into slices and squares and little. Come on, anybody ever have that? I think I'm preaching to somebody else this morning. Amen. When I grab a couple of those off the cookie sheet, she'd slap my hand and say, you're not supposed to touch that. But it's so good. Amen. And so there are ingredients in our lives that we would not want at times. But God says to us, you hold on. Because when I mix it all together, when I put it all together, you're going to notice that all things work to good to them that love God who are the called according to His purpose. Then verse 31, Romans 8 and verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So God is showing us that all things work together. But then a couple of verses later, he says, If God is for you, who can be against you? I was talking to a lady the other day. It was at a funeral we were at actually yesterday. And this lady had been working the same job for years, working at a hospital for years. And they decided, and it ended up, I believe, because it was of her tenure, they decided to lay her off because she was amongst the highest paid within her department. She had the most benefits. She had the most um, accumulated sick time and 
vacation time. And she ended up with an injury. That was their excuse to laying her off. After years of working for the same employer, after years of dedicated service, of being honored by the corporation, by the hospital itself, but because of this, the excuse was, we're laying you off. Now, obviously, just like any of us, it would upset us. Not knowing that you're, you're being marched out of the building. And literally, at that moment, you have no income, no job. Nothing is there. You're being marched out of the building with your, with your clothes and your possessions. And she was distraught. I remember her talking to my wife about it. But when, when God allows, allows one door to be closed, He will always open another door. She went right from that job to working her new job the very next day that she had not even officially applied for, but that God had opened the door for. I'm here to let you know this morning that we serve an awesome God that is able to take care of all of our needs. If He allows a door to be closed in your life, He will open another door. I promise you that. Let me say it like this. If God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Hear what I'm saying this morning. If God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. No weapon formed against you can prosper. I I wish I had somebody that would agree with me this morning. It is he that is greater, he that is in us that is greater than he that is in the world. God, God, listen to this, and this is going to sound strange, but God doesn't just love you, he likes you. Amen? God doesn't just love you, he likes you. He likes hanging around with you. He likes things that make you smile. He likes things that thrill your heart. He likes things that lift you up. He likes things that encourages you. He likes things that blesses you. He does love you, but He also likes you. Amen? Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord here this morning. Amen. He likes spending time with you. I am convinced, and I'm just waiting uh, and I know I talk about this, please forgive me, but it's getting warmer out, and I can't wait until I can go fishing. I am convinced that God likes to go fishing with me. I am absolutely convinced. He likes just hanging out with me. Come on, somebody. He likes hanging out with me. He, you know, see, I, I'm a morning person anyhow, so it's not that big a deal. But when I get up early to go fishing, God gets up early with me. He gets just as excited as I am. You know, the night before the first, first time I get to go fishing in the season, I can, I can hardly even sleep. 
I'm thinking about, okay, what am I going to do first? And then what am I going to do next? And, and, and you know, there's it, no problem me getting up early in the morning. I frustrate my family on vacation. I get up at, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm out there already on my boat. You know, they're sawing wood in the house just sleeping away. I've gone and I've fished for three or four hours before they're even getting out of bed. I think it's just plain apostolic. I mean, it's a blast. It's God's will for sure. And, and, and God enjoys the things, I believe, that God enjoys the things that I enjoy. He likes hanging out with me, just like He likes hanging out with you. People don't believe in God because of wars and famine and sickness and because of tragedy. But what if it isn't God? What if it isn't God? We, we feel okay with blaming God for all that goes wrong, but we don't give God credit for all that goes right. Uh, thank you. At least I got this section over here that agrees with me. Maybe there's somebody over there that will agree with me. I, I said we blame God. People often blame God for all that goes wrong, but we need to give God credit for all that goes right. And I'm here to let you know that far far more things are going right in my life uh, than are going wrong. Uh, if I were to somehow put them on the scales of life, uh, there would be no challenge. There would be no debate. Uh, the blessings of God far outweigh the troubles and trials of life. What if we altered our mindset to all things work together for my good? And if God is for me, who or what could be against me? We need to stop blaming God and start trusting God. Now I want to ask you this. Have you ever been forgiven by somebody? So my next question is, how did it make you feel? How did it make you feel? How does it feel when you know you've done wrong and the person that you hurt looks in your eyes and says, I forgive you? Isaiah said, can a woman forget her child that she gave birth to? Can a woman forget her breastfeeding child? God says, I will never forget you. I have written you in the palms of my hands. Whether it's marriages, families, friendships, there are many things that are destroyed by unforgiveness. John chapter 8, starting verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And I know I use this. A few weeks ago, but verse 3 it says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us, notice this, Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned or should be killed. But what do you say? And this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote in the ground as though he heard them not. So when they had continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, 
He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. What do you think she felt like? And I I know I used this illustration a few weeks ago, so please forgive me. But what do you think she felt like? She was there in the midst of a crowd of people that were looking for revenge, looking to get even, looking to settle the score, looking to, to fulfill an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand. And they had the right because it was in their law. It was in, in the way they had been instructed for years. If someone harms you, you can harm them back. It's justifiable. But Jesus looked at them and said, Whichever one of you is without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. And she was there waiting for the first stone to hit its its mark. And she didn't feel. In fact, and I I said this a couple weeks ago, I, I believe she was literally praying. God, let the first stone hit me right here in the temple so that it will knock me unconscious so I won't feel the rest of the stones that are hitting my body as life flees from me. But not one stone hit her body. All the, all the stones were hitting was the ground when Jesus looked at the people around there and said, you without sin or you without this guilt, go ahead and cast the first stone. Amen. And then think of how she felt moments later after no one was there accusing her. Amen. When the, when the crowd felt silent and there was no more people around, there that were willing to take uh, revenge. Uh, amen. And, and, and think of the words when Jesus said to her, woman, uh, where are your accusers? And she looked around. There were no accusers. Uh, he said to her, woman, uh, neither do I accuse you, but don't sin anymore. Go your way, but don't sin anymore. I hope you remember the day that you repented. And the day that Jesus forgave you, I do. I could take you to the very uh, church and to the very pew where I knelt for the very first time and asked the Lord to forgive me. Because when that time of prayer was done, I walked away from that church feeling like I was a thousand pounds lighter. I felt as light as a feather. I felt so clean. I I, I don't even know. There's just no words to describe how I felt when I knew that the Lord had forgiven me. I had emptied myself, my failures, my wrongs, my sins. I, I had emptied myself before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm not worthy. And even today, let this preacher tell you, I'm still not worthy of the forgiveness of the Lord. But it's not about being worthy. It's about asking. And when you ask, he will forgive you. So I can take you to the church. I can take you to the wooden pew. I can take you to the exact spot where I had asked the Lord to forgive you, forgive me. But I can't tell you what the preacher was preaching. I don't remember a single word of it. Whatever he was preaching was stirring my soul so much that it caused me to say, I wish he would shut up so I could get to the altar. Not literally, please understand you know what I'm saying. 
There was just something inside of me that was saying, I just need to get to the altar. I need to hear that amen. I need to hear, will everybody stand? I need to hear this altar's open. And I don't know how I even got there, but I just know I got to, I wasn't even at the altar because it was full. I was at one of the chairs right in front there, one of the pews right in front there. And I was crying out to the Lord and I was talking to the Lord. It was that moment that changed my life. And it's that moment that will change your life also. Although this, I believe, is is mostly a message about uh, not seeking revenge about, uh, and people around us and in our lives is seeking uh, a, a place of refuge. Uh, but yet, I believe that may be the focus, but the fact is, we if you are here today and you have not asked the Lord to forgive you yet, you should before this service is done. As I said, I don't remember the message. All I remembered is God was working in my heart. Uh, and if you've ever felt that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The, wind of, the, the weight of sin and unforgiveness is so heavy, it weighs us down. It's a heavy weight for us to carry. Unforgiveness, listen to this, unforgiveness hurts you more than it hurts the other person. Unforgiveness hurts you more than it hurts the other person. I bought this man's book. It's the man I've read several of his books. His name's John Bevere. And in his book, The Bait of Satan, he says this, and I quote, I travel across the United States ministering, and I have been able to observe one of the enemy's most deadly and deceptive traps. It imprisons countless Christians, severs relationships, widens the existing breaches between us. It's a trap of offense. Many are, are unable to function properly in their calling because of the wounds and hurts that offenses have caused in their lives. They have handicapped and hindered, or they are handicapped and hindered from fulfilling their full potential. The closer the relationship, the more severe the offense. You find the greatest hatred amongst those who were once close. You find the greatest hatred amongst those who were once close. So many are wounded, hurt, and bitter. They are offended and do not realize they have fallen into Satan's trap. Every evil flows out of offense. Offense is a tool of the devil to bring people into cavity, in captivity. That was in his book. That's unquote, unquote there. In John 8, 36, it says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And I, I'm going to use this as an illustration this morning. Just bear with me for a moment. Do I have a volunteer? It would be best if it's a man. Do I have a volunteer? Oh, come on. Don't everybody run up here.
you might want to charge him maybe an offering for Christmas for Christ or something like that to let him free. No, I'm just kidding. I know it's a simple illustration, but I hope you understand that it's a powerful one. Freedom is never found in revenge. Amen? It's just never found in revenge. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 29, he said, Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? I read to you all of those things that happened in Paul's life, all of the offenses, all of the troubles, all of the trials, all of the things that came, uh, that came into his life. Uh, and he said, Who is offended and I burn not? Uh, he did not say that he was not affected by those negative things. I hope they can get him free. He didn't say he was not affected by those things, but he said this, I will not burn. I'm not going to carry this to my grave. I'm not going to carry this bitterness in my heart or in my life. I won't do it because I know all it's going to do is dig the grave deeper. It's going to dig the grave hole, the, the hole deeper. It's going to dig me into greater trouble and trials and tribulation. I will not be offended. And if anyone had a right to be offended, it was Paul. But I want to remind you that Paul started out as Saul, the murderer of Christians. Hear me. He started out as someone who murdered Christians. Did you hear me? He started out as someone that murdered Christians. And when God called on him and forgave him, what was interesting, and you might want to study your Bible when it comes to this, Christian people had a hard time trusting him and had a hard time forgiving him. I'm convinced to the very last breath, to his very last breath, there were some Christians that wouldn't hang out with him. There are some Christians that wouldn't have fellowship with him because they had never gotten beyond the issue of revenge. They had never gotten to a place of forgiveness. They had never gotten to a place where they could forgive Saul for the wicked thing of murdering Christians. But God would use this man. He would turn Saul's life around, change his name to Paul, and, and would use him mightily in the kingdom of God. Most of the New Testament is penned uh, from his pen. There are his words, uh, uh, God's instructions to him. Uh, and I thank God for forgiveness uh, because God took a man who murdered Christians uh, and turned it around to a man who had won thousands upon tens of thousands of people to God. And everywhere he turned, as our musician would come everywhere he turned, everywhere he turned, he had to battle thoughts of revenge, thoughts of hatred and bitterness, thoughts of people. You know, he was, he was, he was hated. When I looked at his life and I was thinking about it, he was hated by the leaders of the Jews. And he was mistreated for his beliefs and zeal. But he also was hated by Christian people. Would you stand with me this morning? He had a choice. 
It was revenge or refuge. Only one offers freedom. And it's our choice today. What will it be? What will your choice? Jesus asked the woman caught in the act of adultery, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? And I feel like this morning as Sister Melanie starts to play, as our praise singers would come, if there's somebody here in this service this morning that wronged you, whether it was an hour ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, a lifetime ago, if there's someone here that, that did you wrong and you have not yet forgiven them, can I ask you, why would you ever go out those doors before getting it right? Well, I know how difficult it is. I'm, listen, I'm just like the rest of you. I've been offended too. I've had people say things that they should not say about me. And I've also been the, been the offender. If we want to just kind of open up here this morning, I've been the offender. Is there anybody else here that want to admit you've been the offender? You've been the one that did wrong? It's okay to admit that, by the way. In fact, it will heal you to admit that. When others focus on revenge, God focuses on refuge. So while the Israelite people were focusing on getting even and revenge, God said, I'm going to set cities throughout the land of Israel. There's going to be six cities. They're going to be put in strategic places. He said, I am going to instruct the leaders of every city that they have to keep the highways, the roads to their cities clear. So if there's someone that is running from the avenger, he can get into the city or she can get into the city without being hindered. In fact, history tells us that all of those cities of refuge were set up on hills. They were covered with a white glowing plaster or painted, but history tells us it was probably more like they were covered with a white plaster. So even on the darkest of days and darkest of nights, you could tell that's the city of refuge. If I can just get through those doors, I'll be okay. The highways were to be kept clear. The beacon was set on top of the hill. The cities were glistening white. And if the, if, if the offender, if the person that did wrong, if the slayer, if he could just get into that city and through those doors, the person that was designated by the family to get even, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, life for a life, the one that was the avenger of blood, if he could get to him before he got through those doors, he could take his life. But once they were through the doors, 
he could not touch him until the congregation of Israel could judge the situation. That man was free. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I stand here before you as a child of God. Not, I know I'm a pastor. I know I'm a minister. But right now, I'm standing to, before you today as a child of God. Take it on that light. I am a child of God. And I stand here today with all of my heart. I believe that I am free. In fact, I know I'm free. Sure, I've been offended, but I've prayed for those that have offended me, and I've asked those that I have offended to forgive me. And I'm just going to say this. If there's anybody in this house that I've ever offended, please accept my apology. Please accept my request for forgiveness. Because I don't want you to hold anything against me, and I don't want to hold anything against you. We are brothers and sisters. I don't say this this morning because there's a problem. In fact, I believe the opposite of that. I don't believe there's a problem at all, but I would rather bring a message like this that will offer you freedom than to have you still focusing on revenge when God has offered you a refuge. These altars are open. The praise singers are going to sing. Musicians are going to play. Is there anybody that would like to talk to the Lord this morning? Is there anybody that would like to clear the air, clear your heart? Is there someone here that you need to reach over to and say, listen, if I've ever done anything to hurt you, please forgive me. You want to learn what it's like to feel as light as a feather when you leave the house of God. Clean it up, get it right now, and God will help you and guide you. These altars are open. Is there anyone that wants to talk to the Lord? Preachers, if you would come. In Jesus' name.